KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. What keeps you up at night? I don't mean all the problems of the world, although that could be part of it, but scientifically, why is it so hard to get a good night's sleep? A lot of people have turned to sleep aids like melatonin, but those might not be exactly what they seem. A new study finds you may be getting more than you bargained for if you pop a melatonin gummy before you head to bed. Researchers who analyzed 25 brands found most have higher levels of the sleep-inducing substance than stated on the label. One product contained 350% more. This news story from WWJ in Detroit got me thinking about sleep and all its mysteries that we still don't understand. So I called on Dr. Philip Gehrman, Associate Professor of Psychiatry at the University of Pennsylvania School of Medicine, to see if he could help clear some things up. It becomes this spiral of you think more and more about your sleep, you try harder and harder to sleep. But sleep is one of those things that the more you think about it and the harder you try to do it, the harder it is to actually do I'm Matt Leon, and today on KYW News Radio In Depth, we answer the questions we can about sleep. Find out what questions are still unanswered and learn a few tips for getting a better night's rest. I have so many questions, I almost don't know where to start, so let's start with the very basic. If you encountered a being that had no concept of what sleep is, explain what sleep is and how it works. Ah, so it's a great question. Um, we take sleep for granted so often that sometimes it's hard to describe in words is exactly what it is. We describe it as, I mean, you could say it's a, it's a behavioral state. So it's a, a state that our body can be in, in which we have a uh, reduced awareness of what's going on around us, that many of the functions of the body and mind slow down or even stop completely. Uh, and it's a period of, of rest and of Kind of recuperation from the wear and tear of the day. Is all sleep created equal? <laughs> Absolutely not. So uh, a lot of people are probably aware of the fact that we pass through different stages of sleep over the course of the night. So we have our, our rapid eye movement or REM sleep. We have other stages of sleep of varying depth. And the, the deeper stages of sleep are definitely the ones that are more restorative for us. So someone who has a night in the lighter stages of sleep, especially if that sleep is very broken or fragmented, it's just going to not be as good quality sleep. That leads, because I was talking to one of my colleagues this morning, and this is a problem I have, the idea of falling asleep isn't mm-hmm. a big deal, mm-hmm. but waking up three, four hours later, maybe it's to go to the bathroom or mm-hmm. something like that, but then the inability to get back to sleep, like what forces are at work there? Yeah. What's happening? Yeah, great question. So um, first of all, I should say that it is completely normal to wake up one, two, even three times per night. Sometimes people come to see me and they say, oh, I have insomnia. And I say, well, what happens? And they say, I wake up in the middle of the night and I use the bathroom. And I say, well, how long are you up? And they say five or 10 minutes. I say, that's completely normal. And But there is this idea that that sleep is supposed to be unbroken, and that that's not actually normal. And But what happens is we wake up, like you said, to use the bathroom, to change position, whatever it may be, but then we can't get back to sleep for one of different reasons. Probably the most common is because our mind starts going. One of the most common things I hear from people is that I could sleep much better if I could just shut my mind off at night. So you wake up, you use the bathroom, 
But now you're laying there thinking about all the things you need to get done the next day, the bills that are due uh, in the next week. And when that mind kicks in, it's going to interfere with the ability to get back to sleep. It's interesting. This is my personal, when I've had situations like that, so I mm-hmm. go to bed at 10 o'clock and I'm wake up at 2.30 and it mm-hmm. is uncannily a 2.30-ish time, regardless of when I went to sleep. If I'm going to wake up, it's going to be around that that time. I can almost internally tell I'm not falling back asleep mm-hmm. or, okay, I seem to be in the, whether it's the mindset or the mm-hmm. the vibe, like, okay, I'm going to be able to get back to sleep. Is yeah. that craziness? Is that unusual? Like, and what am I feeling? Yeah. So probably I'll work backwards from your questions. I think what you're feeling is that physical or mental, uh, the term we use is, is hyper arousal. So the idea is the body and mind should be in a, a state of low arousal at night, calm down so we can sleep. But if we experience physical or mental hyperarousal, such as the active mind, or for some people it's more of like a physical tension or restlessness, that's, you might be, that might be what you're feeling is, is that's what's going on. Now, it can also become what we call a self-fulfilling prophecy, meaning maybe you're not in a hyperaroused state, but if you think you are, <laughs> that then starts the cycle where people – uh, what we often say is that once you start thinking about your sleep, it becomes this spiral of you think more and more about your sleep, you try harder and harder to sleep, but sleep is one of those things that the more you think about it and the harder you try to do it, the harder it is to actually do. So if you become convinced, like if you think, oh, I don't think I'm going to be able to fall back to sleep, that can now start to create this state of tension and mental activity that then make sure you don't fall back to sleep. Is there, because I mentioned, once again, just me specifically, that it's always at 2.30. Yeah. Is there something to, it always seems to happen at the same time, is there it almost like a crossroads mm-hmm. where I, I'm at a point where I'm going to go into a deeper sleep mm-hmm. and it's either that happens or it veers off? Am I simplifying it too much? Is there anything to that? You're close. Um, there, there's, I think, two factors, at least two factors that could be involved. We cycle through each of the stages of sleep about once every 90 minutes. And at the end of one of those cycles of sleep, we usually are briefly in this period of very light sleep, and that's when we're most likely to wake up. So it's not this junction between like one half of the night and another. Gotcha. But chances are you're hitting the end of a sleep cycle at that point. But the other factor is a lot of people have had the experience of, you know, they need to be up extra early the next morning for an important meeting at work, for a flight, whatever it may be. And even though it's earlier than you usually get up, you end up waking up before your alarm. And so there is an extent to which even while we're asleep, our brain is monitoring what time it is. And um, what can happen is, like in your case, if you just think, I'm probably going to wake up at 2.30 because that's what I always do, your brain will kind of wake you up on its own. And so it can become this cycle that people get stuck into. No, because kind of adjacent to that, when I have to come in and work early morning, which mm-hmm. requires getting up at two, you know, really unusual mm-hmm. and counteractive to anything I've done the rest of my life, I will try to go to bed at eight, mm-hmm. but I know I have to get up early. So yeah. the idea that I know I have to get up early means that I can't <laughs> fall asleep. And yeah. you talk about falling into a circle. You just yeah. kind of lay there like, 
well, if I fall asleep right now, I can get four hours of sleep. But then mm-hmm. you're thinking about it and it kind of falls into the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the other thing that can be involved there is you want to get into bed extra early because you know you have to get up early. But if it's too early in your body's natural rhythms of sleep, it's just going to be hard to fall asleep. And so, uh, so oftentimes people get into bed before their bodies are actually even ready for sleep. It's the wrong timing. Really kind of now let's drill down when somebody falls asleep. What is happening in their body? I think I heard somewhere that it's kind of the equivalent of a big department store closing down for the night. You're restocking the shelves. You're cleaning up any messes that happened during the day. You're rebooting all the computers. Like what? Let's give a a normal or quote unquote normal, a good eight hours of sleep. What is happening in the body? Okay. First of all, I like that analogy, and I may have to borrow that from you. So. <laughs> but, uh, but it is a good analogy because what's happening is uh, all of our kind of organ systems are starting to slow down. Uh, now, there's this idea that our brain shuts off at night. Our brain is still quite active at night, but it's definitely less active than it was during the day. And, and absolutely, the wear and tear on our body, is like our body repairs itself during sleep. Our immune system is more active when we sleep. Um, even things like in, in children, growth hormone is only produced during sleep. So we actually do all of our growing only during sleep. And so it's sort of like you can think of wakefulness as a period of breaking things down, sleep as a period of building them back up. And one hot area of research in the field, a fairly new discovery, is this idea of cleaning up the waste from the day. And so we now know that um, from just when we're awake and our brain is active, the individual cells of our brain are producing waste as part of that normal metabolism. But for years and years, no one could figure out how the brain was clearing that waste. We now understand that happens in our sleep, that during sleep, it's almost like this gentle washing of the brain to clear away the waste products. And so when people don't get enough sleep, It's like the waste builds, the trash builds up in the brain. How long can we go without sleep? And I mean, I'm sure the longer things break down, like, but how long could we go? So there's, we we distinguish between total versus partial sleep deprivation. So total sleep deprivation means you're just not sleeping at all. The Guinness World Record is, I believe it's around 11 days, nine, nine or 11 days. I forget exactly. And which I don't recommend that anyone, <laughs> in fact, Guinness will not take any more entries into that. Not safe. Because yeah. it's not safe. Yeah. And most people, even after 48 hours, it's going to be incredibly difficult to stay awake. Now, partial sleep deprivation is more like what we do in everyday life where we're not getting no sleep. We're just getting inadequate sleep night after night after night. And we can survive on that. But it certainly you know, increases our risk for a whole range of negative health problems. If there is not a bigger problem mm-hmm. involved, if you're just having, will the body eventually take things into its own hand? Mm-hmm. And do you hit a point where, mm-hmm. listen, you're sleeping for 12 hours, whether you like it or not? Like, does that, yeah. does that happen? It will. I mean, one of the things that regulates our sleep is, is what we call the sleep drive. We always say it's, it's a lot like your hunger drive. The longer you go without eating, a hunger drive builds up. And then when you eat, you clear away that hunger drive and start over. 
Sleep is the same way. The longer you are awake, the sleep drive builds up and the sleepier you feel. And there is a point when that sleep drive gets strong enough that it's going to take pretty extraordinary measures to resist the urge to go to sleep. As someone who studies, researches, what is your biggest question Mm. about sleep right at this point right now? Yeah. So my, a lot of my research is focused on the importance of, of good sleep and, and the impact of poor negative sleep in terms of insomnia on our mental health. And so we know that when people are not sleeping well, it tends to increase feelings of worry or anxiety and depression and, and just bad for our mental well-being as a whole. But we don't know why. Uh, like what, what is a way that, that poor sleep actually impacts the functioning of our brain and our body? It's those links that, that we really, uh, I, I think, is, is the biggest question that I have. What has been the most exciting breakthrough about sleep in the last decade? Mm. I'd say one is this uh, link between sleep and the clearing of waste in the brain. And, and to take that research a step further, a lot of it has been done uh, in terms of its risk for dementia. And so it's now believed that chronically not getting enough sleep leads to the buildup of these waste products, which can actually make it more likely that you develop Alzheimer's disease. And so that's been, I think, a really exciting area of research because that's something we can, we can do something about. That's a risk factor we can do something about. Uh, I think another big area has been the link between sleep and metabolism. And so when we're sleep-deprived, it stimulates uh, the release of certain hormones that increase our cravings for, for high-fat, high-carbohydrate foods. Um, I always say when people are up in the middle of the night and they're tired and they get the munchies, no one ever gets craving for a good salad at 3 o'clock in the morning. It's always like these, these high-fat foods. And so we're trying to understand how, what those relationships are like and if we can get people sleeping better. Can that actually improve their metabolism, help them lose weight? And, and you know, given the epidemic of obesity, could sleep be one of the, a missing link there? We need to take a break. We will have more with Dr. Philip Gehrman right after this. This is KYW News Radio In-Depth. And we are back on KYW News Radio In-Depth, continuing our fascinating conversation about sleep with Dr. Philip Gehrman, Associate Professor in the Department of Psychiatry at the University of Pennsylvania School of Medicine. Dreaming. Yes. What is happening hmm. when we dream? What's at work? Yeah. So uh, there's a lot of unanswered questions here. We know at least some of it has to do with our memory. And so as we learn new information over the day, uh, that information is stored in kind of a temporary storage area, temporary holding area. During sleep, what happens is that information is transferred into long-term storage, which is why, you know, I always tell people, students, one of the worst things you can do before a test is pull an all-nighter because you need sleep to store the, that, the information you've been studying in memory. So what we've learned is that during the non-REM portions of sleep is when this transfer seems to happen into long-term storage. But, of course, each piece of information we have in memory is not an isolated piece of information. It's connected to other information in our brain. And that seems to be part of what's happening during our REM sleep. Now, what we don't know is, since our dreaming is happening at the same time, is a dream, is dreaming just kind of the consequence 
of these memory processes happening? Or is it the dreams themselves that are responsible for connecting our memories? And we all have lots of dreams that start off along one storyline, and all of a sudden the dream shifts and or goes in another direction, which when we're in the middle of the dream seems completely normal. But of course, the next day we look back and we say, well, that was really bizarre. But maybe those leaps that happen in the content of our dream is evidence of these connections taking place. And we don't know if that's the case, but, uh, but, but at least something in, about dreams and about REM sleep, one of the important aspects definitely has to do with our memory. I can probably count on one hand in a given year how many of my dreams I can remember. And when I say I can remember, mm-hmm. I will have a vague idea that it was something about the station or it was mm-hmm. something about myself. Like, couldn't tell you. I could probably tell you good, bad, scary, <laughs> but really couldn't go much. Why is that? And why are some people yeah. seem to be able to recount their dreams very well and other people like me, like, mm-hmm. I'm sure it was there, but I got nothing. At least you acknowledge it was there because one of the things people say to me is, well, I just don't dream. And I say, yes, you do. We all dream. It's just you may not remember those dreams. Um, The part of our brain that stores new information in this temporary holding area for memory is a part of the brain called the hippocampus. And the hippocampus is relatively inactive during sleep. And when we go through the sleep cycles I mentioned earlier, Usually the end of that sleep cycle is REM sleep. So we finished our REM sleep, and then we have this short period of very light sleep. We think what's happening is if you wake up at the end of after that REM sleep, after that dream, even if it's so brief you don't remember it the next day, that may be enough time for this hippocampus to become active, to store that new information in memory, and then you settle back to sleep. Whereas if you don't have that even brief awakening, that information is never able to be stored in memory, so you don't remember it the next day. That, that's what we think is happening, but we're not sure. Good, bad, if you don't remember? Or just everybody's, it's just different? It's just different. It's neutral. So a lot of people take something to try to help them sleep. Mm-hmm. Being, you know, back in the day, I know it was a cup of warm milk was the, <laughs> the you know, melatonin. Now mm-hmm. you... Now, one of the things that triggered this conversation was we had these recent stories about these children's melatonin gummies where it seems like these companies are just kind of making it up as they go along, bottle by bottle, mm-hmm. how much stuff's in them. How do we judge what's effective and what's maybe not snake oil, but not yeah. maybe not doing anything or doing what people like to think it is? Yeah. So one category would be like prescription sleeping medications where there is a lot of research behind them. Uh, and they have pros and cons. I'm not necessarily saying everyone should get on sleep medications, but we have scientific evidence that they can be helpful for at least some people. For melatonin, there's been a ton of research on melatonin, and there's two ways to take melatonin. One, and this is the way probably 98% of people take it, is as a sleep aid. So they say, I want to be able to fall asleep faster and stay asleep better. And there have been lots of trials comparing taking melatonin to taking a placebo. And almost every single study has found that there's no difference between the two. So our current understanding is that just as a sleep aid for most people, if melatonin has any benefit, it's probably going to be mostly a placebo effect. Now, melatonin also has effects on a 
targeting our body's internal clock, what we call our circadian rhythms. And there it seems to be more effective. And so it can be effective for things like jet lag and, and, and sleeping problems where the underlying problem is a problem of our, our rhythm. Now, once you get past prescription sleeping medications and melatonin, the evidence base drops dramatically. So uh, like one thing I hear a lot, a lot of people talk about is magnesium, for example, for sleep or chamomile. And there's all kinds of ideas out there, but there's just a lack of research. And so some of them may be beneficial, but it's just uh, we just don't know. I have taken melatonin in the past and mixed bag as far as results. And mm. I would be very curious if I were able to clone myself and do a study against a placebo, <laughs> if there'd be any difference. One thing I noticed, though, mm. I take melatonin. Mm. I might not remember the dream, but I will wake up going, that was some crazy blank. Like, mm. the bizarreness seems to go off the charts when I take a melatonin for for the dreams for however I remember them. Anything there? I've always thought, well, maybe the melatonin's pushing me deeper into my subconscious mm. and it's cleaning up more stuff or something like that. Am I Am I crazy? <laughs> You're right. Well, at least that's not evidence that you're crazy and it's, uh, <laughs> that it's not an uncommon reaction or a response that people have to melatonin. I'm not aware of any research trying to understand why melatonin, like how common that is or why melatonin could have that effect. But at least people will often just say, I feel like when I take melatonin, I have, I have more intense dreams. There seems to be something there, but it's, it, we really don't. It's one of the many unanswered questions we have. What is time wise? Is there a good night's sleep? Like I feel like it's moved a little bit as research is, you know, at this point, what should people be shooting for good for as far as hours to get a good night's sleep? So the general scientific consensus is most people, most adults need around seven to eight hours of sleep. Uh, I mean, there are people who need more and, and people who need less. And, and unfortunately, we don't have any kind of blood test or brain scan or something we can do to say that, you know, this person needs seven, this person needs seven and a half, this person needs eight. We don't have a, a scientific way of knowing what each person's, what we call your sleep need is. But the, the key is just, are you, are you feeling rested during the day? And if, if the answer is no, then you should probably be getting more than you're currently getting. Do naps, if they are a part of your day, is that supplementing your mm-hmm. night's sleep or is it is a separate category on its own. There's mixed evidence of that. I mean, certainly there is restorative, can, can be a restorative benefit to naps, uh, especially, in, and the, the general consensus is to try to keep the naps brief uh, because if, a lot of people have had the experience of if you end up taking a long nap, you actually feel worse afterwards rather than better. And so I think there's definitely a role for napping it can help to supplement not getting enough sleep at night, but it's probably not a perfect substitution for nighttime sleep. It's better than nothing, but it's probably not as good as getting that sleep at night. When you hear about stuff like sleepwalking, what's mm. it what's at work there? Like, mm. is it what's happening? I, I'm guessing the brain mm. is gets aroused to a certain point, but not to the full awake status, something like that. Yeah, that's a great description of it. Um, the analogy I always use is we typically think about sleep as like it's a light switch. You know, you're awake or you're asleep. Sleep is more like a dimmer switch. So there's all kinds of 
states that we can be in where part of our brain is awake and part of our brain is asleep. So in sleepwalking, enough of our brain is awake that we're able to get up, walk around. Some people will use the bathroom in their sleep. They'll eat food in their sleep. You know, do uh, sometimes even fairly complex activities while the conscious aware part of their brain is still asleep. So it's, it's a combination of sleep and wakefulness. Is it dangerous? I mean, are you more likely to fall down steps or stuff like that? From usually if when people are at home, in most cases, it's not dangerous because your body knows the route. Uh, it knows the layout of the house. It's more likely to be dangerous when people are sleeping at someone else's house. And so sleepwalking is most common in kids. So where you see can see problems is if there's a sleepover. And so if someone's at someone else's house and the route at their house that would take them to the bathroom takes them to the top of the stairs in their friend's house. And so, but m- aside from those sorts of situations, most of the time it's not dangerous. Is it harder to sleep as we get older? Because I, I remember as a kid and in high mm. school, you could lo- get a bomb next to me and I wouldn't get up. Yeah. And now it's impo- almost impossible for me to sleep past seven o'clock. Like, yeah. And is it scientific, the reasons why is, you know, what, mm. why it can be harder? Sort of. I mean, we know that starting in your early to mid-20s, the amount of really deep sleep you get starts decreasing. So the, the decrease starts very early in life, but it's a slow, gradual decrease. So we t- typically don't notice it much till maybe our 30s, 40s, but definitely with each decade of life, we're t- typically getting less of that deep sleep and our sleep is more easily disturbed. Now, what exactly is happening in the aging process that causes that, we don't really know. Um, but but it's it's definitely... Uh, a real thing. So we talked about, you know, how much sleep is a good night's sleep. We talked about is all sleep created equal. When it comes to sleep, should we be shooting for the best quality or longer? Does it matter? Is it a, you know, moving curve as far as how they complement each other? We definitely need both for optimal uh, rest and being refreshed. I think is culturally, we focus a lot on the quantity of sleep. How many hours of sleep did I get last night? We often don't pay enough attention, in my opinion, to the quality of sleep. So someone may be sleeping eight hours per night, but if that's poor quality sleep, they're still not going to feel rested the next day. So if, if someone is having that experience, if they say, yeah, I feel like I'm getting enough hours, but I just don't feel rested, there can be various factors that disrupt the quality of sleep. Sometimes it's things like stress or anxiety. I think everyone understands that if you're stressed out about something, that can make it hard to fall asleep or to get back to sleep in the middle of the night. But what can also happen is it may not keep you from falling asleep, but it may keep you from getting into deeper stages of sleep. So it may disrupt the quality of sleep. Uh, Another factor that can affect the quality of sleep is substances we might consume. So too much caffeine during the day, too much alcohol before bed, you know, while alcohol helps people fall asleep faster, it tends to keep us in those lighter, poor quality stages of sleep. And then for some people, it's an indication that they might have some underlying sleep disorder, something like uh, like sleep apnea or, or something. Like so if someone's getting, they feel like they're getting enough hours of sleep that they just never feel refreshed, it's a good idea to talk with your healthcare provider to see if they think that, you know, a referral to a sleep clinic for a, a more in-depth evaluation is warranted. And we talked a little bit about, you know, melatonin and, and stuff like that. 
I don't want to say like what would you recommend, but if people struggle to go to sleep, what would kind of be the checklist you would give to mm-hmm. them of things, be it medicine or just thought process or physical, yeah. to try to improve their sleep? So as a psychologist, uh, the way I treat people with insomnia is with non-medication strategies. And and there is kind of like the low-hanging fruit. Where do I always have people start to try to, I describe it as retrain their body into a healthy pattern of sleep again. Um, The first step is always to keep a regular schedule. Our body likes routine. And so as much as possible, trying to keep bedtime fairly consistent. I mean, it doesn't have to be the exact same time trying to avoid wild swings in in bedtime. Same thing with wake-up time, trying to keep a a fairly consistent wake-up time. The biggest pushback I get on that one is people say, well, you mean I shouldn't sleep in on the weekends? And I say you shouldn't dramatically change your schedule on the weekends compared to the weekdays. Um, Then the next step uh, relates to this idea of of what we call a, a learned arousal pattern. And what I mean by that is uh, when someone's a good sleeper, And each night they get into bed and they fall asleep. And the next night they get into bed and they fall asleep. And they do that night after night. Their body just learns this connection between being in bed and being asleep. So as a result, as soon as you get into bed, it triggers this automatic response of sleepiness. When someone's had trouble sleeping for a while, they they can develop the opposite pattern, where their body has learned the bed is a place for lying awake for thinking about things, for tossing and turning. So people will say, I feel sleepy at night, but then I get into bed and I suddenly start feeling more wide awake. Well, what there are some things you can do to begin to retrain your body to connect the bed with sleep rather than with wakefulness. And it's fairly straightforward. First is don't go to bed if you're not sleepy. It kind of gets back to the not going to bed too early because if your body is just not ready for sleep, you're just going to toss and turn. So wait until you feel sleepy to get into bed. Try to use the bed uh, only for sleep. Try not to have the bed be a place for watching TV and being on your phone and doing all these wakeful activities. And then last, if you can't sleep, is to get up. Once you reach that point where that we talked about earlier in terms of like you're thinking about your sleep and you're starting to get it, your mind starting to become alert, you're better off actually getting up, going to another room, and doing something relaxing until you feel sleepy again. And so the idea is you want to really cut out periods of time in bed, lying there tossing and turning. I always say that always adds fuel to the fire. So those are, those are some basic strategies that, that I think everybody should be doing for a, for a better night of sleep. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio in depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon. 